This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new podcast on your Blood Red channel. I'm Christian Walsh, uh, blast from the past I suppose, I haven't been on one of these for a while. Uh, I used to of course be part of the Liverpool Echo and uh, part of the Blood Red podcast itself, but this is a brand new podcast, brand new concept. Uh, I'm going to basically be taking a look at tactics, we're going to take a look at statistics and we're basically going to drill down the nitty gritty about Liverpool Football Club and everything that involves it. Um, in terms of a name, we don't know yet, uh, we've got Analyzing Anfield. AA, not too sure about that one. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us at Live Echo LFC and let us know exactly what you think this podcast could uh, could be called, it would uh, be very much appreciated. I'm your host, as I said, Christian Walsh, and with me uh, making his, his debut on uh, the Blood Red channel, it's uh, Josh Williams. How are you, Josh? Oh, I'm good, mate, yeah. Um, glad to be involved. I've done a couple of pods in the past, but um, this will be a little bit different, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're probably wondering why we're doing this and, and, and where this is born from. Well, basically, Josh was uh, one of two writers that we employed across the group, but for the Liverpool Echo as well, uh, to basically look at tactics and uh, scouting players. And, and basically, these guys know everything that you need to know about football and a little bit more on top. So we thought, you know, everybody's liking what they're writing. So why don't we start to talk about it as well? Podcasts very much, not not even the future now. They are the here and now, as you'll all know. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us and hopefully you'll enjoy this any feedback anytime just give us a shout so what we're going to do today uh, we're going to pretty much go straight into it Liverpool played by Munich on a Tuesday night it was nil-nil I think that was a result not many people were expecting I think a lot of people thought that Liverpool by Munich at least would have had you know two, three, four goals given what people were saying about the defensive uh, problems at Bayern and, and Liverpool's attacking force but you know Josh just, just to kick us off I mean how did you see the game and and you know how did, how do you feel like it developed is, is it is it a bad result for Liverpool uh, initially I, I did expect goals initially I thought it would be um, I thought there'd be a fair amount of goals involved especially with the amount of absentees Virgil van Dijk obviously missing um, but you know once the match played out and stuff like that and it got through about maybe half an hour in I started to pick up on a conservative approach from Bayern that was reminiscent of the approach that Man City took earlier in the season in the nil-nil. I've just finished writing about it actually, so it should be up on the Echo in the next couple of days or so. But uh, it's basically, after, after City getting essentially steamrolled last season, at Anfield especially, um, Guardiola came this season with a slightly different approach really. That being, rather than building play through Liverpool, trying to play vertical passes through the centre of Liverpool, which is where Liverpool's three central midfielders are, are waiting hungrily for the ball. Pep in, instead seemed to instruct his team to build around Liverpool through the likes of Mendy, through Kyle Walker, Danilo at one point, I'm not sure whether he was playing. Um, and what this, what this effectively does is, if the ball does get lost in those areas, it's a lot less dangerous. Um you know, in terms of a counter-pressing situation that could lead to a goal. And it was a very clever approach at the time. City restricted Liverpool to a very, very low XG. And although City, it, it seemed to nullify City's attack too. Um, the XG on the day, I can't remember exactly what it was. But, you know, it it, it, it did kind of kill the game, really. Um, and Bayern seemed to adopt a similar approach. It did seem to nullify Liverpool's attacking threat from pressing, which is what it did against City. 
But Liverpool still retained the creative threat, which I thought was important. The XG at the end of the game was 0.5 for Bayern and 0.2 and, and 2.2, sorry, for Liverpool. That's according to you know a specific model. Every model is different, really. But for the listeners that don't really know what XG is about, expected goals really provides an underlying um, insight into the performance of a team. Perhaps the story behind the result, because if you just look at the results, say, for example, a team won 1-0, let's take Jose Mourinho's team, for example, say in the past against Barcelona. Their matches that he, he probably wouldn't have got away with winning most times if the match was played, say, for example, 100 times, probably wouldn't have won their matches. So XG provides a level of insight, underlying performance, just to give you this, a tale of the tape, really. And, you know, Liverpool, according to the tape, Certainly should have won, but I, I thought Bayern's, Bayern's approach to the match was very interesting, very reminiscent of City's. It gave a lot of emphasis, I suppose, on Trent and, and Robertson in that case, because obviously that's where they were getting on the ball, wasn't it? And, and neither of them necessarily used it very well. So, you know, how did you, is that, do you think that was that was Bayern's plan as well? And I know obviously they're very good fullbacks, but as you say, when, when Keita finally got on the ball, for example, he was causing havoc. He was getting around Javi Martinez. Obviously, Henderson was playing some nice balls and you had Gini Wijnaldum doing his thing. You know, restricting it to, to, to out wide basically nullifies the best part of Liverpool's attack. It does, but I'm I'm not exactly I'm not, I couldn't be certain on that that the um, the funneled that attack down down the wide areas. I'm not exactly sure on that because that would have made sense a couple of weeks ago maybe without mm. Trent. But Trent and I, I mean I've been looking at Liverpool's statistics all season and um, I think currently according to Weisgaup right now our two best ball progressors are Trent followed by uh, Robertson. So. That, that's it's not, a risky strategy if that's yeah, what they were going it's for. It's not necessarily an approach that I'd overly make sense to me. I, I, one thing I did find interesting was, um, I think since we signed Van Dijk, um, very few teams have attacked down our left and we've predominantly been attacked down our right. Not just because Trent's there and he's a teenager, I mean, he's obviously now, I think he's 20 now. He's 20 now, yeah, he's turned 20 recently. Not not just because he's a young prospect, but also because whoever's playing our right centre-back role, he's probably going to be at a weaker level than Van Dijk. Um, So most teams have opted to attack down our right, but I found it interesting that Bayern seemed to be attacking down our left through Gnabry, who Mm -hmm. I was impressed with on the day. Um, Remains to be seen whether that was because Van Dijk was missing but it's the first time I really remember a team since we've signed Van Dijk attacking our left as opposed to our right leg. So I found that interesting. Do you feel like that was a, a Fabinho thing? Because certainly in the first 10 minutes, and you know, I'll just say it right now, I thought Fabinho had a, an excellent game of centre-back. But in the first 10 minutes, I, f- I thought you could see that Robertson was slightly shaky maybe on the ball. It felt like he was almost babysitting Fabinho because that is very much a, a different left-hand side. He's so used to Van Dijk, and I think he was. I think sometimes Nabri was perhaps getting a lot of joy because it felt like Robertson was maybe tucking in and, and trying to make sure that there wasn't too many gaps in between, you know, him and and, and Fabinho. So, you know, is that a potential one that Bayern have looked at that and gone right? That's where it is because Fabinho is going to be there, and that's where we attack. Yeah. Well- I mean, perhaps uh, when you look at the two fullbacks that we've got, although they're both attacking fullbacks, they've both got kind of different roles. I think Trent is more of a more of a crosser, more of a passer, mm. and Robertson's more of a penetrative runner, mm. really making real runs in behind. I think he plays a lot higher than Trent a lot of the time, 
So with that being the case, and obviously Fabinho slotting as a as a temporary centre back, that would make sense. I suppose from Bayern perspective to attack to attack an exposed centre back who's you know going to be playing in the area where, in which he shouldn't really get much support, certainly based on uh, <clears throat> Robertson's performances this season. What's your figure about Fabinho in general in, in terms of, I mean, you, you wrote about him last week and about how against the, the weaker teams, he's one of Liverpool's most important assets because he, you know, gets Liverpool on the front foot. He's one of the best forward-facing defenders um, in, in, in Europe. But, you know, you look at last last night as well and it feels like he's a he's almost a, a man for every occasion now he, he's almost I, I don't know it, it's just basically pick a position can he do a job yes he can it's it I don't think people realised how versatile he, he was when they said when Liverpool signed them for 40 million pounds yeah well that versatility is something that I think we initially signed them for mm. I've, I've had a few debates with people on Twitter to do with like why we've signed Fabinho and a few people early, early on were convinced that would sign them as, to replace Jordan Henderson but I initially thought that would replace them to uh, that would sign them to replace Emre Chan. Mm. One of Emre Chan's biggest traits was that he was able to play right back if needed. He was able to play centre back if needed. Fabinho offers them two positions now, as well as defensive midfield, as well as perhaps number eight. So I think he's very much an upgrade, I'd say, on on Emre Chan. Uh, very complete profile. I've been very very impressed with him early on. I think he's gradually developing an authority in that midfield whereby he's he's just controlling everything that's going on. He's I've, In the piece that I wrote, it was more to do with the final third and in an attacking sense. But he, he really does seem to be patrolling the central midfield area, area in matches that I've watched recently. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see him coming into his own because, I mean, I said earlier a couple of weeks ago on Twitter that he is the, the Fernandinho replacement that City have been looking for. Because he offers so much in so many areas, perhaps with the only area that he's lacking in being mobility. But other than that, you know, I can't see an area that he that he lacks in, in overly. You mentioned Jordan Henderson there as well, Josh. I'd, obviously, he divides opinion. Um, there's going to be people who listen to this podcast who are, who are pro Henderson. There's going to be people who listen who are anti Henderson, um, and it feels like it's very much to divide the camps. But. I thought he was probably Liverpool's best player against Bayern Munich and especially given what was going on behind them you've got ultimately Liverpool's fourth and fifth choice centre-backs behind them for the Champions League home game against Bayern Munich it was absolutely imperative he had a good game and it feels like when Liverpool need Jordan Henderson to have a good game he very, very, very rarely doesn't step up to the plate Yeah, I think Henderson was superb on the night I mean, I said to you, you know, a couple of minutes ago, I said the piece that I'm writing about Henderson right now, it's half done at the, at the moment. But um, he's he's just essentially, he knows exactly what he's good at. And he does exactly that. He does a little more. He knows he's not going to be three men in the dribble. He knows he's not, he knows he's not going to score from 30 yards. He knows he's not necessarily going to decide a match single-handedly, say, for example, how Steven Gerrard did in the FA Cup final, for example. Um, he's very, very good at certain things, very good at remaining disciplined. And that's exactly what he brings to Liverpool in the midfield area, in the big matches against the big teams. That's something that he, he demonstrated against Bayern Munich. Just simple things like playing the sixth role, especially in in an assertive, aggressive system. It's just largely about when you've got the ball, 
maintain attacks and when you lose the ball, prevent counter-attacks from materialising. That's basically what he's about and he does that very, very well. His positioning's, you know, most of the time is very, very good. Is in the in the duel, he's he's up there with the best in the league, I think, in terms of one on one duels. I think the only player that's embarrassed him in the cup last couple of years is Hazard. Hazard seems to jog past him, but other than that, that's no. He's not alone there, though, is he? No, you know? no, is it exactly? He's uh, he really is very good at what he does, but what he does is is quite basic, and I think a lot of fans, especially with him with the having the captain's armband, I think a lot of fans. Just compare him to Steven Gerrard, and Gerrard could essentially do it all. Mm. Henderson can't do it all, but what he can do, he can do very well, and he knows exactly what he can do very well. He knows his limitations, he knows his strengths, knows his weaknesses, and he plays to them, and you know, it benefits it benefits Liverpool quite regularly, especially in the Champions League. Very much a Klopp player in that sense, isn't he? Certainly a Klopp midfielder, it feels, you know, you mentioned Chan before, funnily enough, and, you know, obviously he's struggling a little bit at Juventus, and it's kind of because he don't think he knows what he really is. Whereas, you know, you look at Wijnaldum, you look at Henderson, and you start to look at Naby Keita as well here, James Milner, of course, as well. But you look at, say, like Naby Keita, and it feels like he's starting to understand what he's meant to be in this Liverpool side. And that feels like when Klopp's midfield flourishes is when they understand their function and they, and they you know, carry it out to a tee. Yeah, well, I I always I've always felt with Chan, I've never ever really been his biggest fan, and I've always felt that he he thought or he played as low. He thought he was something that he something more than he actually mm. was. I think he's he's good in a number of areas, and he offers a number of okay basic qualities. But in terms of things that make him unique, he, there's not a lot there. Um, see, for example, with Naby Keita, he's obviously good in a number of areas but he's got aspects that make him very unique he's obviously very good in the dribble for the central midfielder things like that so with Chan I've always felt like he's got the same game as Henderson in terms of you know having clear limitations but Henderson knows them Henderson plays to them and I'm not convinced that Chan does Um, and that's just for me what makes Henderson a very good player very useful player one thing I didn't mention then as well the amount of interceptions that Henderson made the amount of turnovers that he forced with his first touch, I thought was was massive. It's the kind of thing that not not everyone would pick up on. But if, say, for example, he can he can make an interception or force a quick turnover without taking three touches, without controlling the ball, he will. He will just simply lay it off with his first touch to play that's in front of him. And it allows Liverpool to quickly progress up the field. It sets a tempo for the attack, you know, quickly get on get on the way, get head towards goal basically. Um, and I think M.A. Chan, that was one thing that really hindered this game. He took too many touches. He didn't need to take five touches when one would have sufficed. And I just think Henderson's a really efficient, disciplined player. And it's def- definitely the t- type of profile that he wants in a big European game. We've definitely had half of the listenership turn off there because you've been nice about Jordan Henderson, but what can you do? <laughs> Did you feel like in Navi cases suffering, not suffering, because I think he has been better, but... You know, a couple of too many touches. I mean, yet again yesterday, it felt like he was he was the one who was progressing the ball up the field. It felt like he was the one who was leading in terms of progressive runs. It was just sometimes that fight and the ball that was lacking. I mean, is it a case of will 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 that come for him this season? Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting one, Casey, at the minute. Um, I wrote a piece on him a couple of weeks ago. I think it was my first piece for the Echo, mm. so I was still a bit finding me feet to be like um, a bit like Nabby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And the piece, I think, looking back at it, it probably consisted of too many numbers. 
and not enough real analysis of him being totally honest. But at the time, when I looked at his numbers, he wasn't really underperforming that much compared to his Leipzig time, um, except for in certain attacking areas, such as obviously goals scored, XG and things like that. But it wasn't a massive drop-off. And it kind of brought me to the conclusion at the time that we're waiting for this massive player to come out, but the player that we've saw in the past couple of weeks, past couple of months, I think could be, or certainly not far off, the player that we've signed. People are expecting, I think, you know, Luka Modric to start performing and absolutely dominating games. And although I think Keita's got that in his bag, and we're trying to get that out of him on a consistent basis, I think the player that we've signed, he might not be that just yet. He's still very, very raw. Um, I think he's still finding his feet. But the player that we're seeing at the minute is Naby Keita, I think. I don't think there's much there's much more there in terms of the player that we should have expected, at least. I think there's definitely much more there in terms of what we can get out of him. But right now, this is the player that I think we're dealing with. I think we're, we're dealing with a very, very technical player, certainly very gifted. But decision-making could do with work um, in terms of when he should dri- when he should and shouldn't dribble. His final ball, certainly. Things like this can be worked on. And once, once they're worked on, once he improves them, you know, we've, we've got a hell of a midfielder, a very unique profile midfielder. Just before we draw a line underneath the uh, Champions League game, was there anything else that you noticed? Anything that you felt where you're flagging up? Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of things here. First of all, I feel like Liverpool should have shot more, which sounds very basic, <laughs> but I've read a couple of pieces this year of some reliable writers that have pointed out that Manuel Neuer is nowhere near at the level that he should be in terms of his past years. Obviously, he was out for a year. Since he's came back, he's just, he's basically, in terms of XG and things like that, he's basically letting in shots that he should be saving mm. based on the average keeper. So it's like the opposite of Allison. Yeah, yeah, the opposite of Allison, yeah. He's underperforming, basically. Allison overperforms, uh, going by the same numbers and stuff. So, another thing as well, uh, Robert Lewandowski, perhaps due to Bayern's general underperformance this season, you know, they're not top of the league and things like that. His performance is perhaps going under the radar, but this season he's been top five in Europe in terms of player performance. And he's averaging, I think, four shots per match. Against Liverpool, he had zero. So that in itself, even without Van Dijk, epitomises the defensive display that Liverpool uh, put on. And uh, one more as well, this this is, again, related to the defensive display. Uh, Bayern averaged their highest shot distance of the season. So their average shot distance per game based on the competitive matches they've taken part in this season is 16 yards from goal, I think. Um, And against Liverpool, their average was 22. I think they took seven or eight shots in the match. I think only one was inside the box. Mm. So, you know, that's a clear indication that they, they really struggled to get through as they struggled to to score essentially and that, that comes back to what I mentioned earlier about building using the flanks like City you can do that to stop us but it does seem to stop your own attack as well so it'll be interesting to see if they keep that for the second leg Well just very quickly touching upon that second leg then you know Liverpool obviously talking about the defensive stability there but they, they probably will have to score if they don't score best case scenario will be uh, penalties but to be honest they'll probably be out is there a little bit of a concern about the results in Belgrade, PSG, Napoli, 
going into the Bayern Munich game or is that drawn a line there post-Christmas and pre-Christmas? Um, there's, I'd, I'd say there's a degree of concern there. Um, it's it's strange because we seem to have, we started the season initially with problems to do with, you know, Klopp was trying to instill a game management. He was trying to um, improve our ability to cope and control matches. Uh, we seem to have done that quite well, but I think initially when we were trying to instill that, there was teething problems and I think in certain situations when we were leading or when we were drawing even, the team didn't exactly know how to play in a way. Mm. They didn't really know whether to overcome it or, and we had serious problems on a counter-attack and things like that because we were only counter-attacking with three players, whereas in the past we counter-attack with four or five. Um, so yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting. And then recently we seem to have we we seem to have got to grips with the whole game management aspect, but we seem to be leaking goals a bit more. Um, conceded three at Palace. Um, we conceded two in the previous game as well. I can't remember who that was against. Um, but you know, earlier in the season, no city was a city. Yeah, city. Uh, well, there was, there was another team around that. Oh, around Wolves that. as well. Wolves, Wolves yeah. that was it, yeah, Wolves. Um, I mean, that was that was a much changed side, actually yeah. thinking about it, but it, it's 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 a difficult one to predict. I just think that the Liverpool teams that su- the Liverpool team that suffered um, difficult away trips earlier in the season to the likes of Napoli, that, that shouldn't be the case. However, we don't seem to be stopping goals in in a manner that signals over overperformance as we did earlier in the season so there's two ways to look at it it's, it really is 50-50 for me at the minute it's it's the as Klopp says the best draw you can get nil-nil but it's it's a difficult one to predict at the moment The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo just moving on to another game that's going to be very, very hard to predict is Liverpool versus Manchester United on Sunday, Josh. It's going to be a completely different game to the one that happened at Anfield, which ultimately said goodbye to Jose Mourinho, isn't it? It's 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 going to be chalk and cheese, probably. Yeah, it's, it's actually going to be an attack and meeting, I think. I think since, um, since Klopp took charge, we haven't really had an end-to-end all-out attack and match with, uh, with Man United, really, with Jose Mourinho every single year. You know, I mean, I understand his approach, logical approach to, to nullify the opponent, but in doing so, he just kills the game. And it'll be interesting to see two two high-performing top attacks go up against each other. I mean, the big thing for Manchester United, I suppose we should start then with Mourinho leaving and obviously Solskjaer coming in. Is it unfair, this label, that he's just sort of, you know, the, the, the cool uncle who's letting the kids stay up and watch a bit of... Crap TV at ten PM, you know, is it? And they're just, you know, they're enjoying that, but eventually it'll wear off. Is it? Is it literally the, the you know, I suppose the dog leash bounce that Liverpool had in twenty ten eleven, or is there suffered a little bit more there from United caretaker manager? No, for me, there's definitely something more there. I've I've been impressed with them personally. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm obviously a, quite a fan of tactics and things like that, tactical aspects of the game, and so I've been trying to focus on that that side of it since he came in and I had a rough idea of how they'd play you know narrow play quick combinations and things like that high energy pressing things like that but um, I've been impressed with his tactical 
how adaptable he's been, how flexible he's been. Um, say, for example, when he went away to Spurs and he imposed a diamond um, to utilise two wide strikers behind Spurs' fullbacks, they obviously scored through that mm. um, with Marcus Rashford being played through by Paul Pogba. And then last the couple of days ago against Chelsea in the FA Cup, they played the same diamond, but without the same penetrative threat. After the match, Solskjaer said, we got the tactics right. Um, we basically instructed Paul Pogba and, and Herrera to push on, be a bit more advanced. Herrera admitted that in his post-match interview as well. Um, and the two scorers on the day, Herrera and Pogba, so... Yeah. It, it is impressive to see how he's adapting to certain opponents, but having said that, I wrote a piece the other day on his approach to different match scenarios. There's essentially four different match scenarios. There's weak opponents at Old Trafford, strong opponents at Old Trafford, weak opponents away, and strong opponents away. They've basically played weak opponents at Old Trafford a lot. Um and they've basically played the same way from start to finish because, you know, we're United, we're at home, we're going to dominate the ball, and even if they take a lead, they still keep the ball, still keep playing their own way. Um, away from home against these Greek teams, the starts off dominant, um, but then if they take a lead, they perhaps become a little bit more pragmatic, a little bit more inclined to give up possession. Although they still seem to dominate the ball uh, mainly, it, it, there's still there's definitely that aspect of remaining streetwise in there. Um, and then you look at big sides away from home. Um, the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal. Um, who's the other one that have played? Tottenham, Chelsea. Arsenal. Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. this week. Um, they, they seem to have approached the matches with a complete counter-attacking approach from, from, from the start, certainly against Spurs. No, you know, no um, indication to want to one possession. I think from the start onwards against Spurs, they had the, the highest figure at any point was like forty five percent possession, mm. um, and that's simply because it's not something that they really need away from home. It's something that they can get in, they can they can counter attack through. Um, but interestingly, though, facing big sides at home, we haven't really seen much of an insight into that apart from against PSG. It's difficult. Difficult way to judge that because PSG are obviously a European side. It's obviously a knockout game, so they've got to remain fairly cautious. But based on the possession figures, there was a clear struggle there for, for dominance, a struggle for, for the alpha role, if you like. And I think it ended up finishing with United 48 position, PSG 52. Um, but I think that counter-attacking approach that, that Solskjaer has employed against bigger sides away, that seems to be less accepted by fans at home. Fans at home seem to be like almost too proud and and, and they want to be a bit more, you know, we're the dominant side, we're going to take it to you. And against PSG, he didn't, he didn't employ the diamond, he didn't really make any specific tactical changes apart from, you know, just playing the standard 4-3-3 really. And that dates back to Ferguson days when they used to just kind of keep the same approach always at home. Just and then when they go themselves. Away, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when they go away, they'll adapt to you and, you know, exploit your weaknesses. So it'll be interesting to see how we approach it Liverpool. But based on the PSG game and stuff, I'm inclined to think he's just going to play standard 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 and look to dominate the game because it's United, it's Old Trafford and that's, 
you know how how United should play based on based on Ferguson stays and things like that. Would that play into Liverpool's hands? And if, um, if and basically if not, how can they make sure it plays into their hands? What can they do to 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 nullify United's threat? I think it will play into Liverpool's hands because although United have played all the away teams, all the big teams away. Sorry, the, the, the away team that I was thinking of before was Leicester. Ah, they're right. not necessarily big. I wouldn't say the big. Would you? They're tough though. Well, yeah, it's the, weird because they're well, twelfth in the league, but the yeah, the, the, but they should be seven for eight. Yeah, them higher than the likes yeah. of Huddersfield. And, yeah, when Liverpool went there in September, it was everyone was expecting a tough game, when it yeah. was. Um, so against these stronger teams, the likes of Leicester, Arsenal, and Spurs away, incessantly United have lost the XG against all them sides. Perhaps marginally in most cases, apart from Spurs, where they seem to be quite, you know, dominated really. But the fact that they've lost the XG in them games, but still went on to win the match, just indicates a level of luck. Perhaps you know, it's one of them where, as I said earlier, if you played the match a hundred times, they probably wouldn't win on most occasions. Um, so although United are very, very good in attack. And I wrote a book that a couple of days ago when I was like analysing exactly how good this team are under Solskjaer. They are very good in attack. That's, that's, there's no doubt on that. But defensively, they're not. And defensively, Liverpool are on a different level. Um, so given that, I think if United do try to attack Liverpool, we'll be able to cope with it. Whereas if we try to attack them, certainly based on the underlying numbers, they shouldn't be able to cope with it. So... Um, I, I would personally welcome an all-out attacking game um, because I think it'll ultimately open up spaces for us. I should say as well that against Chelsea recently, they did win the XG. I'll admit mm. that one. But having said that, Chelsea is just completely... They do well, you know what they are at the moment. It's... Um, so, you know, fair play to them in that game. They did perform well too. But I think Liverpool are much closer to, to PSG's level than Chelsea's level. Is Fabinho stopping Pogba one of the key parts of this game? Well, based on PSG's game against them, one of the insistent tactical blows from Thomas Tuchel was to essentially put Marquinhos on Pogba Mm. and then play Julian Draxler behind Pogba. So by doing that, you're essentially nullifying United's biggest threat as well as exploiting his attack and freedom by playing behind him. So... If we can somehow nullify Pogba, you know that would that would that would go a serious way to winning a match. Mm. Put it that way. Um, but having said that, since, since Klopp took charge, he's never really been one. He's never he's never really been that ta- that kind of coach. He's never man marked, has he? No, no one's ever man marked. One of them. He's yeah. very much a, a unit kind of manager, mm. very team focused and things. And rather than saying it's your job to stop him, he, I think Klopp's more inclined to say like. You know, we all have to, we all have to muck in kind of thing to stop him. And I'm not exactly sure that's the best approach for Paul Pogba because, you know, he's a hell of a player. Mm. He's a serious player, Pogba, and he's, he's without doubt our most dangerous threat. But if, if whoever's playing up close to him, I think it, it'd probably be our right-sided midfielder, wouldn't it? If yeah. we're playing a mid, if we're playing a midfield three, mm. so depends who depends mm. who plays where. Milner. Perhaps Milner. Milner usually plays on the left of the field, doesn't That's he? That's true. Doesn't he? So maybe even Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum mm. seems to play on the right of our three. And that, 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 quite, that kind of bodes well for us too because he's 
defensively very solid wine album. Mm. Very players managed to bypass him. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Where do you think it'll be won and lost in general? I mean, the Liverpool, you know, I suppose, you know, one of the points of this podcast is to sort of, <clears throat> you know, strip away the the narrative of, you know, oh, Man United are in good form and momentum and, and that sort of thing. And basically, you know, do Liverpool have anything to, to seriously fear? Uh, so should they be entering this game with as much trepidation as they do, say, Bayern Munich away? You know, which game would be harder? Is, is, is this game going to be hopefully easier than, than people are expecting? How do you feel it'll, it'll go down? I mean, do you know what? I'm inclined to think it'll go similar to the PSG game. I think United will start um, energetically, strongly, and, you know, the fan base and, all of us, us and Old Trafford and things like that, they'll all be up for it, thinking, based on recent results, we can match this team we can compete with this team. Gradually, it just seemed to get away from them and the levels just seemed to show. And I think um, I think Liverpool, are in many, many circles, just underestimated such an incredible team, this Liverpool team, in terms of results, performance, underlying numbers, everything. And for United to get a result against Liverpool, fair enough, they've, they've done it against Spurs and they've done it against Chelsea and they've done it against Arsenal too. That is impressive. But Liverpool are on a different level to them teams. You know, the league table states that. And although Tottenham are close, when Liverpool played Tottenham earlier in the season at Wembley, there was just a, a clear, massive yeah. gap between the two sides. Um, so, and, and also as well, we haven't even mentioned Lingard and Martial are both absent. Well, so, the, the, the oh, right touch and go now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say to That's you, you know, if they... If they you know how important is it that they that they miss it from a Liverpool perspective because it feels like there's a big drop off, not necessarily in quality or in terms of ability, but it feels like the way Solskjaer likes to play, it's a big drop off between Lingard and Martial to let's say I don't know Master and Lukaku. Yeah, um, I mean certainly Lingard, he, he, he's a, a player that does go under the radar and. I mean, there's a few quotes. Gareth Southgate said Lingard's his best best quality is his ability to recognise space. Michael Carrick said his greatest asset is his off-the-ball movement. Things like that are crucial to, you know, link play, essentially. And that's... Them quick combinations is what social style plays all about, all about. So, with him missing, and Matter included, Matter's got the link play in him. But for me, he hasn't got the energy. Mm. He hasn't got the mobility. And to face this Liverpool team, this Liverpool team, no matter who they face, they seem to make the team, the opposing team, look as though they're unfit. And they seem to make the opposing team look as though they're nowhere near Liverpool's physical level. So I'm inclined to think if one matter plays, he might struggle with the pace of the game. Um, and what I was saying earlier about about Liverpool's defence being better than United's attack, uh, being better than United's defence, but the two attacks being fairly equal since Solskjaer arrived. That would that probably wouldn't be the case if Lingard and Martial mm. are both absent. I mean that 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 would I'm inclined to think that would mean Liverpool have both the better attack and the better defence. So you know, yeah, you know, exactly. It's... There's there's a considerable drop off. I, I, I just think in terms of style and suitability, the likes of Lukaku, he's not a player that I'm overly comfortable with knocking. Because he he ultimately has done it at certain clubs and certain styles, but I just think Perhaps under Mourinho, 
because Mourinho likes his, his big sensible target men to play around. I feel like he's almost said to Lukaku, I want you to build yourself up even further than what he than, mm. than like you know the the physique and the frame that he already had, and now he just looks. Like he can't even move. Sluggish. Yeah, he, just, he looks not like he's not insisted in moving. Like he's the type of player whereby if you look at him, even in, in his days, even looking at his, his time at Everton, he, he's always looked like a target man because he's been busy, big and physical. But he's never really been that. He's always thrived when when playing in fluid systems. Played and on the right sometimes. I mean, do you remember him absolutely destroying? I think it was Arsenal that, that yeah, one yeah, time he when he played on the right him. for Arsenal, for, for Everton. Yeah, he played really well for Belgium as well mm. in Bra- uh, against Brazil in the World Cup. And, um, you know, Roberto Martinez wouldn't have played in there in a counter-attacking approach against Brazil if, if he ultimately couldn't do it and if he wasn't mobile. But mm. I just feel like at United, he's just gradually lost that mobility, that lost that desire to run in behind. And if he was to come in instead of, say, Martial, they lose a fair amount for me. Mm. Although I'm, I said, as I said, I'm not, I'm not overly happy knocking the guy. Who's I think he's a difficult player to judge based on his time at United. But Martial's on a different level in terms of suitability to what Solskjaer's trying to implement. Brilliant, thanks very much, Josh. And just before we go, prediction. Then you're saying it's going to go the same way as the PSG. So is that a two-nil win to Liverpool? I'm not exactly sure on scoreline, <laughs> but I am. I do think Liverpool will win. Yeah. I do think Liverpool will come out on top, yeah. That is the type of positivity that we need. Thank you very much for joining us this week. We will be back, hopefully, providing you don't clog the airline airwaves and say that uh, you know you don't want to hear this again. Um, as I said, please send all your feedback to us. It's a new show. We, we, we find our way. We'd like to think that this is something a little bit different, something that nowhere really is offering at the moment. So... That would be fantastic if you could let us know. And by all means, give us a name, please. Not the Josh and Christian show. I don't think that really suits. So uh, thanks very much to Josh. Uh, I've been Christian uh, and here's to hopefully uh, a good win against Manchester United. And we'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.